The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for taking the time to tune in or stream or log on, however you're accessing the sermon content. I'm excited to be able to spend Christmas morning with you or whenever you're listening or watching. Uh, It's obviously the last Sunday of 2022, and it's Christmas Sunday. And so that's exciting on a number of fronts. I do just want to thank the Lord for an amazing year we've had as a church family. Through a lot of difficult circumstances, He's been faithful and He has blessed us all. And what a great way to to, uh, sign off for 2022 than um, to spend a little bit of time together in God's Word. And I'm sure you've been enjoying some time together as a family. I hope that's the case. What I want to do is to turn our attention to the Nativity in Luke's Gospel in chapter 2. So if you have a Bible with you, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. Only two of the four Gospels uh, have the Nativity, have the details surrounding Jesus' birth and the foretelling of His birth. And uh, Matthew and Luke are those two Gospels. Matthew's writing to a largely Jewish audience, and so he is really uh, committed to showing how uh, the birth of Jesus took place in such a way as to fulfill all of these uh, well-known Old Testament prophecies. Luke, on the other hand, is writing to a mixed audience of both Jews and Greeks. And he's not only trying to show that Jesus fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies, but that the application of this good news about Jesus was for all people. And so that becomes the emphasis for Luke from the very beginning of his gospel to the very end. And you'll see that in the section that we're going to look at together. So let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14, and then we'll pray. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. This is just a way of saying it was a normal night, but it was a normal night in which heaven was opened and heaven met earth in a couple powerful ways. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all the people. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Verse 12 says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I just love this passage of scripture and I especially love it at Christmas time when we're enjoying all of the wonderful traditions that have developed around the celebration of Jesus' birth. God, we thank you that you made a way where there was no way. You became one of us and you did it in such a fashion to reveal the nature of your love, of your humility, and of the expansive reach that this good news is going to have. God, thank you that it's reached our hearts. And I pray specifically for anyone who's listening in or following along or in any way is on their journey towards Jesus. God, I pray that you would use this passage and this recording to draw them to yourself. Jesus, you said that if the Son of Man is lifted up, that he will draw all men to 
himself. And so I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd be lifted up in the time that we have together. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit. Apply these truths to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I do hope that you're enjoying some time with your family and that this Christmas so far has been a joyful one for you. I am aware where we're located here in Volusia County, Florida, that many of our families in Christ Church and throughout our surrounding communities are displaced from their homes. Many of our oceanfront residents are taking up temporary dwellings or out of town, staying with family. And so this may be an unusual Christmas for you. I know that throughout the course of life, there's always things that happen. And so this could be now, the first Christmas for you without a loved one, and there could be a certain sadness hanging over it. You might just be unable to travel or unable to afford to be with family, and so there could be some loneliness. I don't know what everyone's situation is, but I do know that God works all things together, and he's always working to bring about uh, a plan that is for the good of all people. And I love this little story, this little part of the nativity story, because it really puts that into sharp focus. And it kind of reminds me of one of my most memorable Christmas experiences. You know, our childhood Christmases, when we have traditions, they tend to kind of like lump together and we can't really decipher from when we were 10 and when we were 12 and when we were 14. And there are things that stand out that help us to remember. And I shared this story recently uh, with some of the youth from our community, but when I was 13, so this would have been Christmas of 1994, I was 13 years old, our family went back to College Park, Maryland to celebrate Christmas at my grandmother's house, which was where all my dearest Christmas memories took place. But this Christmas was a little different. I got super sick right when we got there. I was feeling terrible the couple days leading up to Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, I was feeling so bad. Um, I was just laying in a room all by myself, quarantined, feeling miserable. And my, my dad ran out to the Rite Aid, which was like the Walgreens of Maryland. And he got NyQuil. It was the first time I'd ever had NyQuil. And uh, I remember it was like six o'clock. Everybody was about to have dinner. And my mom dosed me with 15 milliliters of NyQuil. And uh, I laid down and fell almost immediately to sleep. And I slept awesome for about five hours. And a little after 11 o'clock, I woke up. Everybody was asleep. The house was quiet. The presents were under the tree. Everything was ready to happen. Uh, and I felt just terrible. And I went down to the kitchen and there on the counter next to the coffee pot was that bottle of NyQuil. And in my 13 year old brain, I was calculating, okay, if 15 milliliters helped me sleep for five hours, how can I get some good sleep and wake up for Christmas morning? And so I can't remember if I poured three or four or drank straight from the bottle, but I consumed a ton of NyQuil. And then I slept and I slept and I slept. And when my eyes opened, I felt refreshed and so much better. And the sun was out and the house was quiet. And when I emerged from my bedroom and walked down the stairs to observe the Christmas tree, what I saw shocked me. All the Christmas presents were gone. Uh, nobody was awake. There was no excitement. And what had happened is that I had slept all night and all day and all night again and completely missed Christmas. And my 13-year-old self had this wave of tragic disappointment fall over me as I, I realized I miss Christmas, like the day we've been waiting for all year, and I slept right through it. And it was, it was uh, very unexpected. But it's become one of my most cherished memories, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But even if this Christmas is one for you that is not what you expected, not what you hoped for, maybe it even has an air of sadness, uh, you are in good company because this is the condition of the world into which Jesus was born and into which the angelic proclamation of his coming took place. 
I love this passage. I think Luke chapter two and verse 10 may be one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. The proclamation of the angels to, to these shepherds who are terrified at this angelic uh, exposure. Fear not, the angel says, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And I just absolutely love that. And I wanna to talk to you a little bit about that in the time that we have. Good news, good news. If you're a Christian, you, you're, you're familiar with this phrase, good news. You know the gospel, the essential facts of God become man, the life and death, resurrection and ascension of King Jesus. This is, the, this is the epicenter of our faith. This is what brings us spiritual life. It is belief in and reception of Jesus as our Lord and our Savior that makes us Christians, that cleanses us by his atoning sacrifice and that fills us with his Holy Spirit. And so we know good news. We know the good news. But you gotta remember, this proclamation came at a time when the gospel as an idea had not yet been revealed. And so what, what was it in these shepherds' hearts and minds that they heard and experienced when the proclamation of good news came? And really there's two levels to this. On the one hand, um, from their Hebrew upbringing as Jews and Israelites, uh, good news was a motif that developed uh, mostly through the Isaiah scroll. So Isaiah, and starting in, in chapter 40 and all the way through the end of the book, Isaiah continues to talk about the proclamation of good news, that good news is coming, that God's gonna do something, that God's gonna set all things right, that despite all of Israel's failure, God was gonna be faithful, God was gonna be just, he was gonna be steadfast. And there's all of these prophetic announcements of how God was gonna do that, shrouded in enigma, but fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But that wasn't it. In Roman culture, and you gotta remember the, the ancient Israelites in the first century were under a Roman oppression. So they had Roman soldiers walking around and they had, uh, they had a vassal over them and, and uh, the Caesar Augustus was ruling and reigning from Rome and so they were under Roman oppression. And so in Roman culture, a proclamation of good news was closely associated to a king or an emperor sitting on a throne. And so sometimes this good news, this proclamation would come as uh, an announcement of a royal birth, that a son has been born and now there is hope for the future that there will be one to inherit the kingdom and sit on the throne. And that was how good news was used. And it was also used if a king had died or if there was some turbulence or if there was some uh, anarchy that the, a king had been selected and was seated on the throne. Now, like all, many of us have experienced type of political good news, we may have rolled our eyes and say, okay, we'll see, things will continue on. But this is the way it was used. And so this proclamation is doing a marriage of these two concepts of God's prophetic fulfillment and a proclamation in real time that a son has been born and that there is a ruler to be seated on a throne. And you're gonna see that develop together. Isaiah 61, you'll remember Jesus stood up in his adult life in the synagogue at the outset of his ministry and he read from that Isaiah scroll. And what did he say? Isaiah 61, one and two, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me, the Christ, to, be, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he stopped. And what everybody was expecting was the following line, which was, and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus got in the way of that vengeance. And so he comes to proclaim good news of great joy to all people. And for those who are in him, there is no vengeance to be experienced. He was in that synagogue that day and said, behold, uh, this has been fulfilled in your hearing, proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is the same good news that's for everybody. I don't know if you're tuning in and you've never heard this good news or it's never made sense to you or you've never actually chosen to believe it and receive it for yourself. 
But this is the good news. This is the good news that God made promises, uh, that he made a covenant that no person could fulfill. And yet in this new covenant, through faith in Jesus, we receive this good news by faith. We turn to God and we trust in him. We rest in him and we become his. We become joined with his son, Jesus, that we become atoned for, forgiven, adopted, glorified, given a purpose, a hope. This good news is for you. And all it takes is the belief in your heart that something on the inside of you knows this is true. Romans 10 tells us it's with the heart one believes. It's with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so I'm just pleading with you, if, if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't received this good news, if it hasn't become good news to you and for you and about you, if you haven't received it into your own heart, today is the day, a simple prayer to say, God, thank you for doing this for me and I receive it from you. Take my sin and offer me your forgiveness. Take my life and, and lead me and he will immediately do that. And the result of that is the second part of what the angel says. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And there's a little play on words. It says that the shepherds were filled with great fear, but he said, behold, the angel, I bring you good news of great joy. And God wants to replace your great fear with great joy. That's what happened for the shepherds. That's what happens for us as we receive God's good news. There's great joy. Jesus said in John 15, these things I've spoken to you that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. This is so beautiful that God wants you to have joy. You know, we live in a country where one of our inalienable rights, our foundation, foundational chief rights established in our own constitution is the pursuit of happiness. And many of us are living lives where we are working very, very hard to provide happiness for ourselves, for our children and grandchildren. We're working towards that and we feel like we have a right to that. But what we've discovered through this good news is that there is no joy to be found in success or wealth, or popularity, fame, the things that we tend to associate with our future happiness ultimately don't provide that. That really great joy only comes when we're united to God through his son, that our, our identity is established, not in what we can do or who we know or how successful we are, but in whose we are, that we belong to God and that we can begin to walk in who he says we are. This flows into us living lives of purpose, God's purpose for us, not a purpose we choose for ourselves or what the world says is valuable, but who God made us to be on this planet. And that begins to just influence all of our relationships where we're able to be a blessing to others and find community for ourselves. And I'm telling you from experience that this is where great joy comes from. And so it doesn't matter if you're displaced, it doesn't matter if you're far away from people that you love. If you belong to God, then you are who he says you are. You are here to do what he says you are here to do. And he will put you into a family and into a community and allow you to experience in any circumstance greatness of joy. And so this Christmas, my prayer for you is that any fear, any trepidation, any worry, any anxiety would be just displaced and replaced with great joy. And this is for everybody. I love this. Good news, great joy for all people. This is for everybody. And this means it's for you. I don't know why we always do this, but in humanity, we have this tendency to think that, yes, that sounds good, but maybe for others, maybe I'm too far gone or I'm not worthy or I'm outside of the realm of that or that was aimed for other people. But no, this is specifically for you. And in fact, that's what Luke's gospel's all about helping people understand. Yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Yes, he is here to fulfill all of God's promises in the Old Testament, but it's, his aim is much larger than that. His aim is global, it's universal. And this begins in what Luke records for us as the proclamation from the angel. 
I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And think about that for a second. God sent an angel to shine glory and speak these words, not to King Herod, not to the high priests, not to the ruling class, not to the wealthy, but to the shepherds at night when they're away from town and they are quiet and alone in just a blue collar vocation. And this is how God chooses to announce the birth of his son. So beautiful. Heaven meets earth in the most gritty of places. And it's just a picture that God wants to meet us wherever it is that we are. Luke uh, adds in the angel's proclamation, I bring you good news of great joy for all people, for, and then he starts to drop these phrases that connect to this big picture of what God has been doing for a long time. And it shows you that God's got a purpose in this and that same purpose that's being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus on this first Christmas night, whenever that was, is synonymous with God's purposes and his plans for you. That he is always bringing about his purposes and there's not a moment, however mundane, you could be doing your job, do, running a shift, doing what you're supposed to be doing. God is at work and this is what he wants you to see. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Man, I'd love to spend all day with you going through what each one of those phrases means and where it comes from, but I wanna just give you a brief overview and maybe whet your appetite for a Bible study of your own. Think about this for a second. Unto you is born. This is a clear reference to Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Very popular passage at Christmas time. You may have already come across it. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And the name, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a mind-blowing reality to think about all four of those names interacting, what they mean as descriptions of Jesus. Verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is a kingdom that's going to spread and bring peace. It will never stop growing, it will never stop spreading, and it will never end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is so passionate about his purposes that he will fulfill them. And, and he's gonna fulfill his promise to David from 2 Samuel 7, that there's gonna be a forever king that's gonna be from the line of David. This is gonna fulfill his promise in the curse of the serpent in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. All of this is happening. And today it's fulfilled because unto you is born this day. And where it happened was on purpose in the city of David. You may know this from studying the Bible, but Micah chapter five and verse two describes prophetically where the ruler of God's people is gonna come from. Verse two, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old. And so this is the prophesied king from ancient days. This is God's long plan and it's going to happen in Bethlehem. And that is what you would have read in Luke chapter two, verses one to seven, as Mary and Joseph make their way in. But think about this for a second. Go back to Genesis chapter 49, when uh, the sons of Israel, sons of Jacob were receiving their blessing before his death. And there was a prophecy given and a blessing given over each of these sons who become the heads of these tribes. And it was Judah that received this in, in Genesis 49, nine and 10. It said, Judah is a lion's cub 
From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? And so Jacob sees something prophetically, a lioness about Judah. And then in verse 10, it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. This is a prophetic picture that there is going to be a king in the line of Judah. And that's how we find that Jesus becomes that king in the, in the genealogies in Luke and in Matthew. Think about Revelation. We know this passage, very famous, Revelation 5, 9, and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. But if you back up a few verses, when this setting starts, there's this scroll that can't be opened. And John, who sees this revelation, begins to weep in verse four. It says, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You see, this is God's plan. It's is God's plan through Eve, it's God's plan through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is God's plan through the tribe of Judah. This is God's plan through King David and the genealogy that led to Mary and to Joseph, which we see in the gospels. And he's bringing about fulfillment to his plan in what could seem to be unfortunate circumstances. When you go back to Luke chapter two and verse one, it's kind of like, it just so happened that. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all over the world should be registered this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. This sounds like, if you're marrying Joseph, this sounds like exceedingly bad timing, not where you wanna be, especially at Christmas, <laughs> although it wasn't Christmas yet. This is a trip they have to make so that they can be registered to being forced by Roman uh, oppressors and they have to go back to the city of David because Joseph is of the household of David. And so they get up and they go, Mary is very pregnant, and it says in verse four, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse six, and here it is. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, these are, these are uh, difficult and odd circumstances, right? So Mary and Joseph don't feel great about this trip. This is not where they want to have their baby. This is not where they want to spend the first night with their brand new child. None of these things are ideal. Very memorable, but not ideal. It's in the middle of these circumstances though that appear to be mundane and from outside of the control of this young couple. And yet God is moving in space time to bring about with prophetic fulfillment, his long plan to provide salvation for the world. And in fact, what happened serves to be a sign. If you go back to the passage we started with in verse 12, the angel says to the shepherds, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now we're so used to the nativity scene that this may not seem odd to us. There's some uncertainty about this phrase, swaddling cloths, right? So this was something that was a typical practice for a brand new baby. We still do this today. We kind of bind up a baby. They've come out of the womb. They're used to being scrunched up. They're like little frogs. Their legs are all bouncy and you want them to sleep well and they, they jump and they, so you, you kind of bind them up real tight. 
But that word is also used to speak of the grave clothes of Jesus and being wrapped in cloths. And so Luke seems to be pulling the life, the birth and the death of Jesus together here. It's also uncertain whether these cloths were something that Mary had, like a blanket that she intended to wrap Jesus with or something that was accessible to her in this kind of barn setting. But the point here is that the angel saying, you're gonna go find a baby. And it would have sounded to us something like, you're gonna find a baby wrapped in band-aids and laying in a dog bowl. <laughs> like, yep, that's the baby. And what Mary and Joseph would have seen as bad timing, unexpected costs for travel, not an ideal situation, maybe they were really lamenting this thing, becomes the sign by which the revelation of good news, of great joy for all people becomes confirmed. And it informs the nativity scenes that are present all over the world. And I just think it's so beautiful. This is not just an unusual birth story. It doesn't just play into other birth stories from the Old Testament. This, brothers and sisters, is a perfect picture of God in specific detail, fulfilling his purposes for humanity, the culmination of God's eternal purpose to dwell with mankind and should stand as a testimony to you personally that God has moved heaven and earth so that you could be his again. It's good news for you and it results in your great joy. Unto us is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And these words are packed with so much meaning, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me try to land this plane a little bit as we evaluate those three words. You know, the name Jesus, which we know from Matthew's gospel was the name the angel told Joseph he was to name his son. You shall call his name Jesus, Matthew 121, because he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is here to be a savior. He's here to be a substitute. He's here to be a deliverer. He's here to be a conquering king. He's here to be for Israel and all mankind what none of us can be on our own. And through faith in him, through union with him, we become everything God intends and the ability for God to dwell with mankind is restored. And so there's a big picture here. And so saving is a huge part of that. Jesus, in the kind of English transliteration, in Greek, Jesus, in Aramaic and in Hebrew would have sounded like Yeshua or Yahshua or Joshua. And in fact, when you go back to the Old Testament, Moses' servant Joshua who led the people into the conquest in Canaan and the high priest in the second temple period, Joshua, these are men who carried the name God saves or God is salvation. And this is the name that was meant to be given to Jesus. There's all sorts of other names associated prophetically with Jesus. I love this one, the branch, Isaiah 11, one and two. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, it's David's father, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And this is what you see in the ministry of Jesus in his life throughout the gospels. He was that branch. This past year, Tiffany challenged me to uh, join her in a six-month Bible reading. So I've read the Bible through a bunch of times, but I've never been as disciplined as to do it in six months. And so earlier this year, we started reading the Bible in six months. And one of the things that emerged for me in this particular way of reading the Bible is as I went through large swaths of the scriptures, you begin to see things fitting together in ways that you can't see them when you're only reading small sections at a time. And one of the things that popped out to me, and there were many, 
came as I was reading the Old Testament prophet of Zechariah, which is the second to last book in the Old Testament. In Zechariah, the high priest's name was Joshua. And in chapter three in verses eight and nine, there's a prophecy from an angel to Joshua. And here's what it says. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. So you guys are gonna give testimony to what's happened here. Behold, I will bring my servant, the branch. It's the same phrase that's used in Isaiah's prophecy. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and check this out, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Here we have a picture of a branch coming out of this line of Judah, of, of Jesse and David, fulfilling God's promises and purposes. He's a stone. He ends up being a stone that the builders rejected, a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling. He becomes the cornerstone of the church. Here he's pictured prophetically, kind of apocalyptically with seven eyes. He's all seeing, he's all knowing. This stone is the anchor point, the foundation, but he is God himself. And upon his arrival, uh, God's going to do a miracle to remove the iniquity of, of the land in one single day. And we, we know that comes to fulfillment at the cross where Jesus dies and because of the sacrifice of his atonement, all people are forgiven and cleansed. And it's just so powerful to me. Later on in Zechariah, this crazy thing happens. The word of the Lord comes to Zechariah and he tells him, go to these three exiles that have been restored, bring them to the house of this other exile, take their silver and gold and make a crown. In Zechariah chapter six and verse 12, and say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, after he sets the crown on Joshua the high priest. This is very unusual. Priests are not kings. Kings are of the Davidic line, priests, Levi. The idea of making a priest a king is very, very odd. And yet this is the practice, this prophetic picture. Sets the crown on Joshua's head, verse 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16? Behold, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And so Zechariah, prophetically led by the Lord, gives us a picture that a priest named Joshua is going to become a king called the branch and ruling the priest and kingship are gonna to come together. And we see that perfectly in Jesus. Ya Joshua or Yahshua, it means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord saves. But that cognate, when you pull it apart, it's the word for God, Yahweh, Yah, but it's also a picture of, of salvation, but it comes to us in the form of a heard cry, a heard cry of rescue. And it becomes the word for deliverance, salvation, rescue. And I just think that is so beautiful. Here we are in this world where things are not ideal. We're displaced, we're missing people. We're still confronted with sickness and death. Things don't go the way that we plan. And yet when we cry out to God and when we take an initiative in his direction, we find him present to bless, present to save, present to answer. Unto us is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus in John chapter 15, having fulfilled what it means to be the branch, the perfect Israelite, the perfect human, he 
in his death becomes the vine. And I love the way he describes this in John chapter 15. He says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And you get this picture that uh, long lay the world in sin and darkness pining. It's broken and cut off, hopeless. And yet one grows up like a branch and bears fruit. And Jesus through his life and death and resurrection becomes the object of our faith and our life-giving spirit. It's through connection with him that now he is this vine that is, uh, that is giving us vital nutrients spiritually. And now he has us on this planet filled with this Holy Spirit called to continue to fulfill this work, the work of the angel to proclaim good news of great joy for all people. And I love that is what happens with the shepherds in Luke chapter two and verse 15 and following. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. These shepherds had an experience with God, a revelation. It was fulfilled in their seeing, in their hearing, in their presence. And then they became witnesses to the testimony of this. And that is our great joy on Christmas. Uh, we want to access God's good news for us. We wanna be living in light of it, living in the good of it. We wanna experience the great joy that he wants us to experience, but he also wants that to overflow into other, other people's hearts and lives because this is good news of great joy for all people. Now, back to my NyQuil story, right? I walk downstairs, Christmas is over, the realization hits me. It's a very sad moment for me as a 13-year-old. I remember sitting down in a chair where my grandmother usually sat, tree is to my right, and I'm sad. And I looked out of my left um, vision on this side, peripheral vision, and there's a black trash bag. And my family begins emerging and everybody's happy that I'm feeling better and checking on me. And coming into the living room, parents, grandparents making coffee, and then something really powerful happened. Um, my older sister opens up this bag and all of my wrapped presents are in a bag and they were set in front of me and everybody's sitting around in the living room. And for a moment, uh, it was my Christmas <laughs> all to myself. And uh, that could sound kind of self-centered or whatever, but being, being an early teen in a big family is very easy to feel um, just part of the crowd, kind of lost. And when you have the chaos of Christmas morning and everybody's going through all of their stuff and nobody's really celebrating with you for the things that you're experiencing and everyone's having their own little, their little party with their stuff. And it can just be kind of a, uh, a fun, exciting moment, but you're not able to really share it with the people that you love the most in that setting. At least that was my experience. And uh, I'll never forget that Christmas because that may have been the time in my childhood where I felt the most seen, the most valued, the most loved. And I remember opening every one of those little gifts and I don't remember any of those presents, none, but I'll never forget the feeling of being surrounded by people who I knew loved me and that I was a part of. And it made me feel super special and I'll never forget that Christmas. And I hope that this Christmas provides that for you as well, because that is what the good news of great joy for all people actually does. It actually shows you how much you matter to God the distance that he went through to be able to bring you home, 
the good gifts that he wants to give to you, the place you have in his plan and in his family. And that is a gift that all of us can receive this Christmas. Now, I don't know if you've ever received that or not. Maybe you just needed a reminder. Maybe this is stuff that you all know. Maybe it's uh, exciting to you to think about these Old Testament prophecies, and there's so many more. But more than anything, I want you to posture yourself to receive the gift of God himself. Whether that's for the first time, receiving Christ through repentance and faith and becoming a part of his family, or whether it's having the moment to recognize and realize how much God loves you and what God wants to do in your life and how he wants to bring you into his eternal purpose and a reminder that you have good news to share with other people. Ultimately, I hope that you experience what Jesus promised, that his joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this time that we've had together in your word. God, I thank you for the picture that it gives us, the reminder that it provides of how much you love us of the great links that you've gone to, of the specificity of fulfillment and of the revelation of good news, of great joy for all people. God, I pray that we would have a deep sense of this good news being for us, that we would have the faith to receive it, to turn to you in humility and dependence, but to become objects of your great love. God, I pray that all of us would be just filled with great joy and that we would have this story on our lips, just like those shepherds, can't wait to tell everybody about this good news of great joy that's for them. God, we thank you for this Christmas, for all the things you brought us through. And I just pray your rich blessing upon every single one of us as we enjoy it together and celebrate the gift of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you on January 1st as we kick off 2023 together. We'll see you then.